You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. I I come here today with a very heavy burden of love from my family to you. as soon as I said I was coming here, Miller said to me, make sure you give them all my love. And then I said, oh, I'm staying with Ian and Mel. And she said, make sure you give them my love. <laughs> it's very Miller, isn't it? <laughs> um, just to, to sort of uh, update you on, on uh, the last eight months or so since we moved, um, probably to put it in context, when we moved into this, back into the city in uh, 2011, um, God spoke very clearly to me about moving into the city, planning a church, um, and moving to Camberwell very specifically. And there was no doubt about God speaking. And, and looking back now with the way things turned out, um, you know, I don't know why he, he said dirt, but it was very clear that he told us to, to move into the city. And we never would have come here to City Edge if, if that hadn't happened, even though the church didn't work out. When we moved to Port Macquarie, God didn't speak to us specifically. But, you know, there was no sign writing in the sky or anything like that. But it was part of a sort of a long-term plan we'd had for over 10 years. And um, we basically prayed that we, we didn't uh, believe God was calling us to Port Macquarie, but we just prayed that God would go before us and provide what we needed and um, that things would work out for us. And it was a great exercise for the kids, actually, for them to learn to see that, you know, let's pray that God provides for us and see how it all pans out. And it's been amazing that everything we hope for has worked out um, as well as or better than we expected. And a number of times we've said we've tried to think of anything that hasn't worked out um, well for us. Um, as we'd hoped. We got the house we wanted. We found a fantastic church, which is very similar um, to City Edge in, in terms of its whole ethos. Um, some wonderful friends that we've made. The kids, you wouldn't believe the kids have just grown since they've been there, grown in confidence. Um, as some of you have told already, Miller's taken up surfing, <laughs> which I've found hard to believe. But, um, but yeah, she's become this surfer chick and she's out down at the beach on this surfboard having lessons and everything every Saturday. Um, uh, Jester's taken up touch rugby and he played in a state championship last, last, uh, last week. Um, never played it in his life, just naturally took to it. Played in an under 14 cricket grand final yesterday and, and won that. Um, so he's really doing well. Sam is just talking. <laughs> As Sam does and we all know and love him. <laughs> and, but he's, he's really grown. It was great to have Merrily and Ginger and Laura came up and saw us and spent a day with them. And, um, and I'm sure you saw how they're thriving. They've turned from city kids, um, who've adapted to a whole new lifestyle, new challenges they've embraced. Um, being in a Christian school, they're loving it, absolutely loving it and just thriving on that. So we're doing well. Terry is now um, studying nursing, as many of you know, and uh, she's also working. She's got, she walked straight into the job she wanted as soon as we moved there. And God's just day after day, week after week, just um, really just opened the whole place up and we've got this whole new life now. Um, but they did say they would have loved to have been here today with me. Um, we talk a lot about you guys. 
and we love you guys. And um, we're, and they keep saying every time we talk about coming to Melbourne, they say, oh, we've got to go and see him. We've got to go and see Saxon. Got to make sure the boys are always saying, we've got to see Saxon. When can we get to see Saxon? <laughs> so we might have to fly you up, Saxon, just to keep him happy. <laughs> but it, no, it's, it's so good to be back here and I feel so connected to you guys. You know, when you go to a church for a number of years and you're, you're involved, it never leaves you. The church in Winchester that I went to for so many years, the first 12 years of my Christian life, that's part of me. It's so etched deep inside of me. It's like a tattoo. You can't get rid of it, can you? And um, the same with, uh, for many of you, Life to the Nations, we were there. And now with you guys here, people like Mark and Charmaine, they're etched in my life. I can't get rid of them. <laughs> and I don't want to. <laughs> um, so, um, so it's, it's just, it's really wonderful to be here. I've been really looking forward to, to being here today. And what I want to speak on is something I've never preached on before. I've talked about preaching on it, but I've never preached on it. And, um, so I think we're up and ready to go. The, the subject I want to speak about today, if I, I always get this wrong, is it to the right I go? Yeah, to the right? Oh yeah, that's right. You did tell me that, John. Don't forget to turn it on. Speaking in tongues. I've never preached on it before. I don't know if you ever heard it. Some churches, that's all they preach on. Um, <laughs> but um, And many churches don't preach on it at all. So I thought, I want to really have a look at this. Um, my, I have my 35th birthday. I know you think that's my physical birthday, but it's not. It's the 35th birthday next week of when I got saved. And it was about 34 years ago that I first spoken tongues has become so much a part of my life and my walk with God, my relationship with God. Um, but I thought I really want to sit down and put something together that really is really responsible. Um, so I want to speak about that. What, a couple of things before I start. Um, we're not going to have a session at the end of tongues practice where you, you know, we try and contrive it all. <laughs> so don't worry about that. Just relax and enjoy it. But, um, it's something which I, it's a subject which is really controversial, but I don't think it should be. Um, I would say in my own life over the last 34 years, it's probably now one of the most normal things I do. Um, and you may think, well, yeah, that'd be about right. <laughs> Those of you who know me. But um, I wanted to really look at it and say, it's one of those things the Bible doesn't talk about much, isn't it? There's only a few passages, and we're going to actually have a look at all the passages that talk about speaking in tongues. Um, but I also want to talk about it um, from the perspective of, of my own experience and conversations I've had. Um, as I'll mention, I've talked with psychologists about it and, and stuff like this as well. To try and build something that you can just sort of hang on, whether you speak in tongues or not, and to help you to, to understand and help you in your own worship and your own um, walk with God. So this is how I want to um, structure it today. I just wanted today just to... Uh, map this out for you. Now for those of you who don't know me, I normally put my notes up here. I don't really use notes anymore because I put them up here because people often ask for my notes and so that hopefully it's helpful to you. And so, and also because my eyesight is deteriorating, I now, if I'm reading, I have to read with glasses in the last six months. And so, uh, yeah, so it means I don't have to put glasses on and off because if I have them on, you look all blurry. <laughs> and uh, if I don't read it, I can't read a thing. So at least I can read that sort of distance to the wall. So I just want to go through it in, in four, four stages. 
The first thing I want to talk about is what I call aspects of worship. I want to look at worship because it is part of your worship. It's a gift that God gives us to help enrich our worship and our walk with him. Normally in a sort of a personal one-to-one um, setting. And so I want to have a look at, at worship briefly to help us to give a bit of context to what I'm going to talk about. Secondly, I want to talk about what actually is the, the gift of tongues as I understand it, and hopefully this will help you. And this is, this is drawn from, largely from what the Bible teaches. I've sort of pieced it together in a way that, uh, from that and, and what I've experienced over the years. And hopefully this will give you a bit of a framework to, to work from. Um, it's fairly simple, straightforward, it's all very logical, but, um, but uh, I want to be able to do that. And then I want to talk about the different types of tongues so that there's a bit of clarification on that as well. And then at, um, at probably the second half or at the end, I want to look at each of the passages in the Bible because there's not that much about it. I want to look at each of the passages in the Bible um, that speak about tongues and hopefully those passages will make more sense after I've said what I say at the beginning. Does that make sense? <laughs> because some of them are a little bit confusing. You think, well, what's Paul trying to say or what's really going on in Acts and all these kind of things. And so hopefully that those passages will make more sense as a result of what I say. So it's quite a slightly unusual way of going about it, um, but I'm going to bring the Bible passages in at the end, which hopefully um, will fill in the blanks. I think in the in the first century, I don't, we don't know this, but I suspect given what's written about tongues in the New Testament, they probably had a different understanding of it to what we have. It's something in a very materialistic Western mindset. We don't really think about things like this, um, but that would have been something which was not an alien concept to them. So they, the Bible probably didn't need to teach much about it, but just had to sort of Realign when the people went out a bit out of whack, and I think there's a, the realignment, especially in one Corinthians, I think really help us today to to say right, let's let's not go down this really odd path that make, turns it into something controversial unnecessarily. So let's uh, let's see where we go with it. <laughs> so aspects of worship. The Bible talks about, uh, what I mean by this is is the Bible talks about us worshiping God in different ways and. Engaging, engaging different faculties that we have um, within us to, to worship God. One of the classic ones that we know, I'm going to quote a, a couple here, um, is in John 4, it says that this is the, um, the uh, conversation between Jesus and the largest woman in the Bible, the woman of some area, we all know her. <laughs> There's a few of them. <laughs> By the way, Nehemiah wasn't the smallest man in the Bible. It was Bill, uh, Bildad the shoe height. <laughs> That's just got nothing to do with anything. Okay. <laughs> but it says, Jesus says this, yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. Now, this is a, um, this is a very familiar to us. We talk about worshipping in spirit and in truth, so we're talking um, at a, a primal level, I suppose, about worshipping God with our emotion and worshipping God with our intellect. Um, this is from the NIV. Some editions of the NIV um, say they worship the Father in the Spirit. So you could be talking about sort of worshipping God spiritually, engaging um, spiritually with God. It could be things like singing in the Spirit and things like that. Um, but also in truth, so it's grounded in truth. We're not just going off on an emotional high where we completely disengage our minds, but there's also, there's also a grounding in truth. Um, so it's a multifaceted thing. I think Mark um, 
explains this quite well when he talks about um, the the uh, exchange between between Jesus and the, and the one of the uh, the Pharisees or the teacher of the law. This is Mark uh, chapter twelve. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. That's Jesus with I think the Sadducees. I think it was. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And so what Jesus is saying is we should love God and worship God. And this is the kind of person he's looking for who, who worships him holistically. So if you have a look at that, we, um, we worship him emotionally, we worship him spiritually, we worship him intellectually and we wor- worship him physically. And so worship isn't just this one-dimensional thing. We talk about, oh, you know, you don't just worship on Sunday, you worship during the week. It's absolutely right. Um, but it's, there's a lot more to it than just, um, just what we tend to sort of reduce it to. We're, we're multifaceted beings and God, God wants to, he wants to see us worshipping him. Sometimes we'll engage all four, sometimes a, a different combination of these at different times in our lives. So you can honour God by worshipping him with your strength by how you go about your work. You know, to let everything you do be to glorify God. So we're worshipping God physically by the way we go about our work. Um, sometimes we're totally overwhelmed emotionally with the love of God as the Holy Spirit just flushes through us, aren't we? And, and we're worshipping God emotionally. And sometimes it'll be in any number of different combinations that we worship God. It's a whole, it's a, over the course of our lives, it's a holistic experience, isn't it? And if we just, if all we ever do is, is just worship God emotionally, then it becomes this sort of soppy, floppy kind of sentimentalism that doesn't really have a lot of substance to it. It's like, you know, jellyfish on the beach. I know that because I walk on the beach every day and I know you're jealous. <laughs> That's what I was picturing. And it, it's, there's no substance to it. It just flops and just lies there. And so God wants us to engage at different times. Hopefully this makes sense when sometimes you feel like that yourself, you think, or, or you see people who just are one-dimensional in their, in their worship. God wants us to, to, to worship him with everything. So I just want to have a look at a couple of... Um, Psalms, because I've, I've quoted from the King James Version, not because I think it's the only valid one, but um, because I think it, it uh, especially in the Psalms, it expresses things which, uh, in a poetic way, which, um, which sort of flows differently. Um, this is from Psalm 47, just a couple of extracts from it. Um, oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. That's an emotional, physical um, engagement, isn't it? And then it, it, it talks about how great God is. And then in verse 6 it says, Sing praises unto God, sing praises. Sing praises unto our King, sing praises. You feel the exuberance and the energy, the physical energy in the, uh, engaging with the emotion as, as they're worshipping God. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. So it's not just an exuberant, emotional high you're writing, but it's actually grounded in understanding, in knowledge, in intellectual, it has intellectual weight to it, doesn't it? And so as we, uh, um, when we, when we're spiritual babies, we don't have a lot of understanding and we have that spiritual high that we ride, which is amazing, it's really exciting. But as there gets more depth into that and more knowledge and, and we really understand, we know who we, who we believe, then God adds depth to it. We don't lose that energy 
or that that emotion, but added to it is this understanding, and and that's why I think I think it's often the case that mature Christians I think cry more in worship <laughs> or feel more emotional in worship. I know I do. I feel a lot more emotional in worship now than I did when I was a young Christian because I go wow. I understand what this is about and this is so deep and so heavy and the words that are so simple on the screen are actually incredibly profound, aren't they? And, uh, and, and, that's, and that's the nature of it as we get older and so our worship in a sense becomes fuller. It doesn't make, become um, more acceptable to God necessarily because it, it's part of our, our, our maturity but, uh, but it's, it becomes fuller as we, we learn to... Um, uh, to worship God with everything that we have. So I think Psalm 103 sums this up and we actually sang that in one of the lines this morning, didn't we? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. I picked that up this morning because I knew I was going to quote from this. Bless his holy name or let everything within me bless his holy name. I think that pretty much sums it, sums it up. Everything that we are, we're not simple beings. We're not just um, we're not just physical beings, but there's so much that God has invested in us and planted in us as human beings. It's a great privilege. And the best thing we can do, the most releasing thing we can do, is to worship God with everything that we have. And I want to give that as a bit of a context so that as we look at these passages, you go, okay, I now I understand what Paul is saying particularly um, and how the gift of tongues um, fits into this whole scheme of, what, of how God has intended us to worship him with, with everything that's within us. So let's have a look at what is the gift of tongues. Um, the first thing I want to say about this is that, I'll go on to the next slide, is that there's that our ability to articulate what we're thinking is quite limited, isn't it? Some of us more limited than others. Some of us have a broad vocabulary. Some of us really struggle to explain what we're trying to say. And I'm sure you've experienced this when even just in conversation we struggle. We say, I know what I'm trying to say, but I just cannot describe it. And people get the wrong end of the stick and we don't communicate properly. And the same is true and probably even more true of our worship. We hit a point where we run out of superlatives, don't we? And we go, I love you, Lord, but I, I don't have any more words to describe what I'm trying to say. A picture of it in the physical sense is what I know Ian has mentioned a couple of times when he's been worshipping and he's lifting his hands as high as he can and he's said, I can't lift my hands high enough. My arms aren't long enough to express what I'm trying to say. And you know what it's like? You hit that wall and you go... I know what I'm trying to express to you in worship, but I just don't know how to express it, either physically uh, or with the, with the language, the vocabulary that I have just, uh, at my disposal. And so what do we do at that point? Do we go, okay, well then our, our, um, our worship of God then becomes restricted to that. So if you're not very articulate, then well, too bad. You just can't worship God with the same freedom as if you are very eloquent. You know, I'm sure we've all seen these these old guys who just have all the words at their disposal they need and can encapsulate things so beautifully and poetically. And I think, well, that's not me, so I just miss out. But that's where the that's where the gift of tongues come comes in, and that's why it's such a great equaliser. And this is how I think it works. When I was a kid, I was probably about. Um, 10 or 12, I knew this old guy who was fluent in uh, seven languages and I was really impressed with that as a kid. I thought, how can you do that? I can't even get my head around English. But um, 
I asked him, and this was the way my mind thought even back then, one day I said to him, what language do you think in? To me that was a logical question. And he said, you don't think in languages, you think in pictures or in images. So your mind actually thinks in images. And and as I thought about it, I thought it's true. And as you think about that, you think in in your mind you don't think in English. You th- you think in images and then you translate those images into English or whatever language you speak. So if you're multilingual and being fluent in different languages just means you have um, at your disposal, at your disposal <laughs> um, a large number of words and a, say in the French language you have a large number of French words that you can use to express or articulate that picture and you can you can then transfer that picture out of your head into the head of someone else and recreate an image in their head and that's how we communicate with each other. <laughs> Thanks, Ramo. <Ramey. laughs> and and that's and that's the reality of it, isn't it? And that's why we struggle so much. We we try to we're trying to speak to someone and say, I know what I'm trying to say, can't you see what I'm saying? <laughs> because I'm seeing an image and I'm trying to convert that image. And the fact that we do think in images, we're having to engage our brains all the time to communicate outwards. The beauty of it is that with God we don't have to do that. We don't have to reduce it to English. God is not only multilingual, but he's... Superlingual, <laughs> he transcends language. So we're not restricted to language when we speak to him. So when we have an image in our mind of what we are feeling about God or what we want to express towards God, then God has given us a gift where we can express what we're, what we're feeling and what, we're, what our, motion, our emotions and our spirit is, is um, experiencing, but we're not having to reduce it to the English language or whatever language we speak. And so one, one of the great things with that, or the great thing with that, is it completely releases us in worship. We're not trying to rationalise, we're not trying to reduce it down. We can do... Um, what, what we can do is we can just be expressive without limitation and God actually gives us... Um, this language that can, can express and we don't have to try and rationalise, we don't have to know what language it is or if it is even a real language because we're just expressing from the heart exactly how we feel towards God. One of the, um, one quote I found really helpful is from Charles Hummel. He says this, Speaking in tongues is a rebuke to our rationalistic age whose intellectual pride infects even the church. The mind, one of God's greatest gifts, is idolised at the expense of other dimensions of human nature because we think everything has to go through our intellect, therefore anything that doesn't is totally irrational and we've got to avoid it at all costs. I remember Mark saying to me years and years ago, um, I hope I get this right, it was just purely from memory, (laughs) that God often um, will offend the intellect to expose the heart. He deliberately cuts across our intellect because we hold so much store by our intellectual faculties that sometimes God deliberately cuts across it to say no I'm bigger than your intellect you know that came as a surprise to me when I first realized that and I thought what could be bigger than my intellect (laughs) I don't think like that anymore (laughs) thankfully but (laughs) but um, (laughs) but 
But the fact that tongues is this ingenious gift that says you don't need to reduce it to your, the, the, your puny intellect, but you can actually do what I call freewheeling in worship, where you're actually uh, you're worshiping God uninhibited by the need to try and reduce it to, to your own intellectual capacity. Is that a helpful way to, to understand it? I've actually talked to a couple of um, uh, psychologists about this over, over the years at different times, guys who, who really struggled with the concept of speaking in tongues because to, to them it didn't make any sense. And when I expressed it in those ways, they said, from a psychological point of view, that makes perfect sense. That's exactly how the human mind works. And so they said, well, actually, now, tongues does make sense because what it does is it's a, it's a fantastic equaliser and you know exactly what you're saying but at the same time, you have absolutely no idea what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, and that's and for those for those of you who who do speak in tongues, you know exactly what I mean because because that's that's the experience, isn't it? You go, I know what I'm expressing to God, but I would have absolutely no idea how to express this in English. What a, what a beautiful gift that God has given us in doing that. But how does God receive this? How does God receive our worship? And there's another quote from a guy called Ken Chant, and in, he wrote this an article in Vision magazine. He said this, and I thought this was really an interesting way to look at it. I would like to suggest that God receives glossolalia, which is um, just the technical term for tongues, not as a succession of intelligible words, but rather like the fragrance of a rose, total in itself, expressing beauty and love. My prayer in tongues is my spirit crying, Abba, like a little child. The Father understands this cry of my spirit without the formality of intelligible words, just as a mother instantly comprehends the cry of her baby and hastens to its need. Isn't that a great way to put it? And we know this from the Bible already, that God receives our praise as a fragrant offering. You think, hang on, when we worship, is God impressed with the sequence of songs we sang this morning? (laughs) <laughs> or with the skill of the musicians. Great to hear you singing again, Marilyn. <laughs> it uh, makes, makes me feel good straight away. <laughs> uh, is that what he's impressed with? We know this isn't the case. We, I don't need to tell you that isn't the case. But how God receives our praise, it comes from what's in here as we're worshipping him, doesn't it? And he receives it as a fragrant offering. So it doesn't matter what form it takes. It doesn't have to be in intelligible words. Because God, we look at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart, doesn't he? And so when we pray or we worship God in tongues, it's, there's no distinction as far as he's concerned because he's looking at our heart and, what, and what's in there. Um, and the fact that he understands that we are instinctively expressive beings and that just the expression of our worship adds weight and power, doesn't it? And so... Um, and that in itself is part of the release, the fact we're expressing it. But we're not bound by going, okay, I need to go back to, to school and learn more English so that I can worship God better. He goes, no, I see your heart and I see your expression of it and that is like the fragrance that, um, the, that I see where you're at. And that not only does him good, but it does us enormous good, doesn't it? Okay, is that helpful to understand that way? That way? So you see, it's, it's not a freaky, weirdo kind of gift, is it? It's actually really normal. It's actually part of life, part of, if we understand how God's made us and the tools that he's, he's made available to us, what a brilliant gift, what an ingenious gift that he's given to us. 
And why would you not want that gift? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so I want to talk briefly about the different types of tongues. This is sort of leading into what the Bible says because there's a bit of confusion about, oh, the Bible says this, the Bible says that, and it's taken out of context and we go, oh, how do I even explain that? I've made um, good friends with a, uh, a guy in Port Macquarie since we moved up there. He was the guy who planted the church that we go to now. Um, he's in his mid-70s. He retired, but he's still involved with the church, very heavily involved with the church, just serving the church. And he and I often sit down and have really long chats. He's a really, really good guy. His name's Kerry Medway. He's written a number of books, and one of them was about spiritual gifts. And, he's, um, and the chapter on tongues that he's written, I think, is really helpful to give us a bit of a framework. I don't want to get prescriptive about this, that when you, someone speaks in tongues, you go, oh, this is this kind, oh, that's that kind. Um, it, I, I think there's a lot more fluidity than, uh, than, than we give it credit for. And so I've learnt over the years not to be prescriptive. I used to have all kinds of ideas about what tongues should be. I remember there was, when I was in, my, I was about 20 odd, there's a woman in our church who'd become this sort of self-proclaimed expert on tongues. And she said, she's saying to me one day, oh, you speak in tongues? I said, yeah, yes, yeah, spoken for years. And I said, sometimes I, I speak in tongues regularly, sometimes I go for months, won't speak in tongues at all. And she went, oh no, no, that's not right. If you, if you really have the gift of tongues, you should do it every day. I went, oh, really? Who says? <laughs> but in her mind, there was this, you know, she doubted that I, she said, oh, it must be, must be just, um, must not be a real gift if you're not doing it every day. Well, no one says that. I've never seen it said. And so I think you learn over time, actually what, you know, we, we overlay all these things on top saying, oh, it must be like this and it must be like that. Otherwise, it's not real. So I want to be careful about sort of pigeonholing everything, but I think this does give us a pretty good sweep of, of what uh, the gift of tongues, um, how, how it operates. So the first one he uses is um, what he calls Pentecostal tongues. And that um, is obviously drawn from the day of Pentecost where they spoke in tongues. And we're going to have a look at that passage in a moment. But he says that um, in Pentecostal tongues, you're speaking a real language and other people hear it and benefit from it directly. So in, in, on the day of Pentecost they spoke and there was about 15 different languages that people understood and they were able to go, oh wow, you know, they're saying stuff in our language. And um, I was actually having, a, having coffee with a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago and he was giving me an example of this. He was sitting in an airport lounge and a few years back and he was... Uh, he was saying that he was praying in tongues and there was this Japanese guy just a couple of seats down listening really intently to everything he was saying. And he sort of looked across and went, oh, far out. He's, you know, he seems to be, uh, seems, he's, he appears to be understanding what I'm saying. And so he just went, oh, okay, I'll just roll with this <laughs> and just kept speaking. And then when he finished, the guy came up and shook his hand and bowed and walked off. He couldn't speak a word of English but he understood absolutely clearly what this guy was saying and he thought he was just speaking in tongues. But this Japanese guy was just hanging off every word and then off he went, got on his plane, never saw him again. So he's going, well, it's probably, you know, that's the kind of thing where it seems like God was supernaturally giving him the ability to speak to him in Japanese. And uh, it was quite bizarre. Um, uh, another one, a really funny uh, story I heard is, um, I know of a guy who was... Um, he was in the, uh, the London Underground, which is a, not a great place to be if, if you've ever been there. Um, he was on this train and he was really wrestling with God as to whether he should become a Christian or not. And he was, uh, um, 
uh, he was just back and forth and back and forth and couldn't make a decision whether to become a Christian. And he was standing on this train with this big African guy standing next to him. And suddenly the train stopped and all the lights went out between the stations. And in the London Underground, that's not something you really want. And it's just pitch black. And they're going, oh, what's going to happen now? And this old rickety, smelly train. And this guy, this guy right next to him started speaking. He said, there's someone on this carriage and his, uh, and, and there, he didn't know if it was a man or woman, I don't think, but he said, they're, um, trying to decide whether they uh, should become a Christian or not. And he said, this train is not going to move any further until you make that decision. <laughs> and there and then, <laughs> this guy gave his life to, to the Lord and, and the lights went on and on the train went. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And he turned around and spoke to this guy to say, that was me that you spoke about. And this guy didn't speak a word of English. <laughs> and that actually shattered my theology because generally tongues is actually towards God but God can actually do whatever he likes if he wants to speak through an African guy on a train uh, underground train in London um, through tongues and this guy clearly had no um, no knowledge of English at all and yet he'd spoken when he'd spoken he'd spoken in the guy described as perfect Oxford English (laughs) and they went different ways None, none the wiser and this guy went off went to church and you know the rest is history <laughs> and, and so you see how we get prescription and I say no generally the tongues is towards God and the Bible teaches that but God if he wants to can do it any do anything with it if he wants to do it at any time you know, he must have had a lot of guts to speak out what he said in a dark train you know he could have had his lights punched out <laughs> anyway, Pentecostal tongues is, is real tongues of, and uh, missionaries have experienced the same kind of thing as well where they'll go into a place and God's supernaturally given the ability to speak to people in real languages in real time second one he talks about is what he calls private tongues and that's probably the most common tongues where pretty much what I was talking about where you're worshipping God you reach this sort of end point where you go okay, I don't know where to go anymore with this and God supernaturally gives you something, God gives you a, a word to say, and you just speak it out. And it's like a baby with your first word, and it develops and develops until it becomes so normal. Um, uh, and I find in my life now, I find it easy to pray in tongues than I do in English, because I find I'm constantly getting stuck on words all the time when I pray in English, and I, and I just freewheel in tongues. It's so much easier. And so that's something which is most common. I would tend towards the view that this gift is available for everyone. I certainly wouldn't insist on it. But this is available to you if you think, I want, you know, I'm reaching this point where I, I just want to worship God and words are getting in the way, then absolutely go for your life. And just speak. If God gives you a word, speak it. It may sound like gibberish. That's what it was like when I, when I first did. I, had, I thought, this is ridiculous. But actually now it's become so normal and it's so releasing. It's just a beautiful thing. The third one is what he calls public tongues and that's the one with interpretation. We're not going to go into all the ins and outs of all that kind of thing today but I just wanted to uh, say that that is the one where you speak publicly but make sure you do it in the right context. We'll have a look at 1 Corinthians 14 and what it says about it. We won't dwell on it in, in any great detail. So is that a helpful way to understand that. Again, I wouldn't say it has to be this. It's got to fit into these categories because these categories are paramount. Absolutely not. But um, I think they're helpful to understand the different types of tongues 
um, and the sort of a general kind of category and to help us understand what the Bible teaches about it. Okay, so let's have a look at tongues in the Bible. The first place I want to have a look at is in Acts There's, um, and the occasions in Acts of actual times when people spoke in tongues. Um, does anyone know how many times in Acts uh, it describes events of people getting filled with the Holy Spirit? Three, five... No one else? There's actually 19. Ah, yeah. If you have a look through, read through Acts, you'd be amazed how many times it specifically says, and Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke boldly. And so-and-so was filled with the Spirit. The Spirit came on um, this person and all these kind of things. Yeah, 19 occurrences in the, in, just in the book of Acts. How many times, how many of those 19 did they speak in tongues? Or does it mention they speak in tongues? You're right. Ginger's, Ginger's the winner. She's <laughs> three times. So three times out of the 19 occasions that people that it's described that people were filled with the Spirit, they spoke in tongues. How many times in the Gospels were people filled with the Holy Spirit? There's actually seven. And in the Old Testament, there's 24 times people were filled with the Holy Spirit. How many times do people speak in tongues? Out of all of them, three times. That's 50 times the Bible describes specific events where people were filled with the Spirit. That doesn't mean that tongues is nothing. I wouldn't be talking about it if it was irrelevant. But it's not, the two don't necessarily go together. It isn't the, the, you know, being filled with the Spirit with the biblical evidence of speaking in tongues. It's being filled with the Spirit with all kinds of biblical evidences. You know, strength in battle, the ability to administrate a nation successfully. to speak boldly, to before preaching, to be to prophesy, all these kind of things. It's it's um, it, over and over again. There's just completely different reasons and and events that surround being filled with the Spirit. And one of them is speaking in tongues. In this case, let's have a look at them. Okay, Acts chapter two. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. I'm sure, you're f- you're familiar with this passage. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled, or as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native tongue? Parthians, Medes, etc., etc. There's even Cretans in there. <laughs> we hear them declaring, that was a joke. <laughs> they, uh, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. So you see, it's, they're declaring the wonder of God. It's God would that they're, they're doing it, which is generally the case. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. What was the context of this? It was a time of worship. And who was involved? Who was it speaking in tongues? These were, these were Christians who were relatively mature Christians who'd spent time with Jesus, spent the last three years with Jesus, seen him die, seen his, him resurrected. And so these, they're not new Christians. In fact, the, the 12 disciples had already been filled with the Spirit in the upper room. Um, I think you read about that in John 20. So these were already spirit-filled Christians and yet here they are 
they suddenly speak in tongues. Let's have a look at the next one. This is in Acts 10 in the house of Cornelius where his family and his um, servants and everyone had all gathered together to listen to Peter. He called Peter to his house. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. What's the context? Peter's speaking and he's talking and they're talking over the top of him. I hope no one starts doing that today to me, but um, <laughs> but uh, please don't. <laughs> but while he was speaking, he wasn't laying hands and saying, oh, you've got to do this, you've got to follow this technique. He was speaking and they just started speaking in tongues. No doubt they were responding going, wow, this is amazing. And God gave them the ability to express it supernaturally, um, what was happening. They weren't even Christians, but they got saved, filled with the Spirit, speaking in tongues straight away. That's just how it happened on that occasion, isn't it? Yeah. Um, they were Gentiles as well. I mean, who'd have thought? <laughs> okay, and then we've got in Acts 19, this is um, uh, Paul now in Ephesus. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. So these guys had a very inadequate um, understanding of the gospel. And they, they were Christians, but they were sort of very sort of flaky on a lot of stuff. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So you have people who are mature Christians suddenly start speaking in tongues. You've got brand new Christians speaking in tongues straight away. You've got people who've been Christians for a while but don't really understand much. They suddenly speak in tongues. In other words, God can do what he wants with whoever he wants, whenever he wants. And if, if um, it doesn't matter where you are in your Christian walk. Yeah? If this gift is for you now, then great. Go, run with it. Yeah? It does it, then there's... And you notice as well, he's... While they were baptising them, he was baptising them and had his hands on them and they started speaking tongues. He didn't play any magic tricks to trick them into doing it. It's just what happened. So there's any number of ways that this can happen. So we need to be careful that we don't start um, manipulating situations, don't we, in in doing this. And it doesn't help because people get freaked out. I get freaked out um, by this kind of stuff. Okay, so that's Acts. See how there's very different circumstances that we see in the three occasions we have. Let's have a quick look at um, Ephesians. I know we're running out of time. I thought it, I, I said to Ian, I think this might be really brief this morning. <laughs> um, okay, let's have a look at 1 Corinthians 12. So I'm going to skip through all the, the, um, the references to um, two tongues and I want to try and explain them a little bit, but not too much. The context of this, Paul is talking about how people were being getting really elitist about the gifts, especially about tongues. Well, I've got the gift of tongues, but you've only got the gift of prophecy or the gift of healing, and you know the tongues are so much superior. And this is the important gift, isn't it? Um, and he's, uh, he's making the point that you've got the same Spirit who gives different gifts to people as He chooses. There's no hierarchy. So to one is miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues and to still another the interpretation of tongues. They're all given by the same spirit, um, whatever the gift is. So there's no hierarchy of going, I've got a better gift than you. And so uh, I'll give you an example of that. Terry and I were in um, Fiji just before Chester was born 
And we were on this island, there's about 30 people on the island and there was a restaurant with a sand floor and we had four long tables in the restaurant and every meal we sat with a different combination of people. And one meal we were sitting there and there was a woman, a middle-aged woman with a couple of girls who were about 18 or 20 and we started chatting to them. They started talking about their youth group and uh, we said, oh, you know, is that connected to a church? And they said, yes, and my wife they were talking about it and we said, oh, we're Christians too. And the first thing, the mother's demeanour completely changed. She said, do you speak in tongues? And I said, well, I do actually. And she said to Terry, do you speak in tongues? She said, no, I don't. No, it totally mystifies me. And she said, well, you should. You're not really a Christian if you don't speak in tongues. And, oh, here we go. <laughs> and anyway, I talked through it and I explained a few things and blah, blah, blah. And in the end, they didn't really have anywhere to go. So they said, well, which version of the Bible do you use? I said, well, I use a number of them depending on what I'm doing, but I... Generally, I prefer the NIV. And they said, no, it's got to be the King James Version. If it isn't, it's not the real Bible. And I went, oh, okay. I think I've suddenly finished my lunch. (laughs) And after that, they treated us with suspicion. Up to that point, they were great. Really, really friendly, really good. And after that point, they went, oh, I'm not sure about them. And they were fine with all the other people who had no time for God at all. (laughs) But you see how we can get these things out of whack. Oh, this is preeminent. This is important and it's got to be this way. All right, let's move on. Okay, moving on in the chapter, he's talking about we're all parts of one body and we have comp- we play complementary parts. Now, you're all the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance and of different kind of tongues. I wonder if they're referring to what Kerry wrote in his book. <laughs> um, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. People use that to say, well, tongues isn't for everyone. But when you look at the immediate context, it's specifically talking about tongues and interpretation. So you don't think, I think you've got to be a bit careful to really be really dogmatic, saying no, not tongues isn't for everyone. I would be equally dogmatic to say, that I don't insist that tongues is for everyone and that everyone has to speak in tongues. It's a gift and God dispenses it as he chooses and if you're in that place, then why not give it? Because it's free and it's good because God's gifts are always good. <laughs> so we need to be very careful with these things and tread lightly and, say, and not say what the passage isn't saying. But um, I do tend towards the view that it is available to everyone. It's more like a lecture than a sermon, isn't it? (laughs) Um, Okay, skipping on to 1 Corinthians 13. It just says very briefly at the beginning, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, uh, that doesn't mean that that's the only language you speak. He's saying even if you're speaking in the tongues of men and angels, uh, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, blah, 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 on he goes about the different things. I think the point he's making here is be careful that you, that it doesn't override love for other people. If you're in situations as I have been a number of times where you're in a church, say a more conservative church that where they, they don't really exercise the gift or they struggle with it or whatever, you don't have to sing out at the top of your voice in tongues and just blow everyone out of the way and offend everyone in the room. You know, it says later on, just do it to yourself quietly, just between you and God. You don't, you don't have to go, look, I speak in tongues, isn't this great? And I'm going to actually inject something far superior to what you have here. If people, if, if you're not in an environment where it's 
where where uh, it's something that's exercised, just show a bit of discretion because love overrides your need to do that. And it's uh, and the Bible has a fair bit to say about that. Paul has a lot to say about that. That just just step back a bit. It's not about you and your gift. It's actually about worshiping God, and God isn't going to deliberately get you and and uh, on impulse, which you can't possibly restrain, to do something which just is an offence to other people. So uh, so love overrides the gift, and we need to always operate within the bounds of love. Is that helpful? I hope so. All right, and then I'll, I'm going to skip through um, a fair bit of chapter 14. I know we're running out of time. I actually have to go at 12 because I've got a plane to catch, <laughs> but I may be a couple of minutes late. Okay, this is chapter 14. I'm going to read through these quite quickly. Follow the, lay, the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Again, it's God would generally. Yeah. Indeed, no one understands them. They are some mysteries by the Spirit, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comfort. I hope you don't mind me skipping through this, reading it quickly, because I know I'm, I'm short of time now. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. As we said earlier, you do edify yourself. Um, uh, where am I up to? Anyway, um, but, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, so it's a desirable thing, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Not that the, the person is greater or it's a superior gift, but it's greater within the context of the passage which is talking about edifying and building up the church. So it's sort of greater in the sense that it builds up the church more. It's not, they're not a superior being by, because they have the gift of prophecy unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, thanks, Charmaine, for <laughs> the sound effects, um, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of language in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker is a foreigner to me. Sorry about Paul's wordiness. <laughs> so it is with you. Since you are eager to des- desire spiritual gifts, uh, try to excel in those that build up the church. I lost the last line on the screen up there. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. So if you all you ever do is speak in tongues, then you're not speaking with understanding. So you, yeah, your life is out of whack. Go, oh, I just speak in tongues all the time. you know. But... If you if you if you don't speak intelligibly to people, then uh, then you you really are out of balance. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. See how what I was talking about with that? How there's just different aspects of of our our being that's worshiping at different times. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the Spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving? 
since they do not know what you are saying. You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. So you are, but no one else is. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. I know that's a long section there, but I, I think it's an important thing because he's making the point that if, if we all come together and all we do is speak in tongues then, and then we go home, then we haven't really achieved a lot as a body together. So unless some, that's um, overlaid with people speaking something intelligible, prophetic word, preaching, that kind of thing, that's, uh, that really does build people up. So we, d- we don't go off balance and start to go, oh no, now we're going to emphasise this because this is more important. Okay. Um, Okay, he skips forward. Hang on. Oh, here we go. Um, uh, I'm going to skip a couple of verses. Tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. This passage I used to get really confused with, but the reason I had to read that other section out was because it makes sense of this section. People get in a tangle over this. If the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, Will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their heart are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, explaining God is really among you. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, and he gives a few instructions there. Um, about only two or three people and they should wait for an interpretation. We won't go into that. But that, that, the top paragraph there appears to be saying something contradictory. because um, he's saying, well, the, the tongues is a sign for unbelievers, not, not for believers. And yet when they come in and see you speaking in tongues, um, they'll all think you're mad. And you think, well, if you look at that in isolation, that could be the case without that previous section where he's saying, if you have tongues, and, and or healing or other stuff going on and you have revelation and prophecy and preaching and really good solid stuff as well, then you're going to have a balance and people are going to see the two. They'll see the sign but they'll also hear the truth, won't they? And if all you have is truth but you don't have a sign, then you um, then equally people are going to be... Um, going to be really, uh, they're going to go, well, that's great, it's good words, but it's all just intellectual. And so we need to have both. Where's an example of this happening? Anyone think of a really good example of both happening together in exactly this order? Day of Pentecost. <laughs> what happened? They spoke in tongues. They said, you're all mad, you're all drunk, go home and have breakfast, it's only nine in the morning. You can get, fill your, your body full of food <laughs> to absorb it all. Um, and if they had done that, if the disciples had gone home, then it, they would have left people none the wiser. But what happened? Peter stood up and what did he do? He preached. And he outlined, explained the gospel and they went, oh wow, this makes sense now. And, and 3,000 people got saved. And so you have the signs and you have the truth being, being told. So that's what he's talking about here and I know I've read a lot of that but what Paul is saying is don't get your lives out of whack. And I know you guys don't do that here, so I know I'm on safe ground, aren't I? Um, but don't get your lives out of whack where you say, I'm going to overemphasize this to the, ne- the neglect of something else. Because it is a gift, but it's only one gift. It's given for our benefit, not for us to dominate everything else in our lives. Which was what was happening in, uh, in Corinth. 
Finally, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Um, and that is everything the Bible has to say about gifts of tongues. I know I've covered a lot of ground in there, haven't I? Um, but it's, uh, I wanted to do that, so I wanted to be responsible and say, right, this is everything it says. Hopefully what I said at the beginning, you can make sense of these passages in the light of what I said at the beginning because I think I felt it was a helpful way to go about it today. Um, I just want to leave you with this last ver- this verse, um, which was the first verse in 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 14. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially the gifts of prophecy. And so tongues is a beautiful gift. It's a gift that's enriched my life enormously and I know for those of you who, who regularly exercise the gift, you, I know you've really benefited. It really does enrich your, your walk with God. You're not under obligations at all. Um, but also at the same time, keep it in its place and exercise it within the context of love. I don't know if you want to say anything um, in addition to that or anything. Ian, do you want me to hand back to you? I hope I haven't been heretical in anything. <laughs> uh, thanks, Dave. Um, yeah, this guy always preaches good stuff. He preaches the word and he preaches it accurately and with insight and he knows how to make complex stuff simple for us. So really appreciate that. Um, I do appreciate the fact we've been working through the spiritual disciplines bit by bit and uh, tongues is not one that we've actually touched on in any sense even when we talked about prayer, but it is a valuable yeah. gift for us to help yeah. us to conform us to the image of Christ. As, as, where, as it talks about us being edified as we pray in tongues, it builds up our spirit and shapes us to be like Christ. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Appreciate this man. Appreciate his family. Yeah. Thanks for coming down. Thanks for yeah. sharing with us, Lord. We just pray for Dave. We pray for Terry. We pray for Chester, Miller and little Sammy, Lord, that you will continue to bless them in Port Macquarie. Mm. Um, Lord, that you will continue to shape those kids into the image of Christ as well, Lord. That, uh, we pray, Lord, that you will keep us close in touch with them when we hear uh, good stories of how things are going up there and how the kids are growing. And uh, So glad, Lord, that you're blessing them and growing them at the moment. And uh, we pray for opportunities, Lord, to, to hear more from this man and, and, and from his family as well, Lord. Lord, <laughs> yeah, Lord, bless him, bless them, and uh, bless the people here as well, Lord. This coming week, uh, pray that you will be uh, guiding each and every one of us, keeping us all safe, and conforming us to the image of Christ. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.